Hello there. Hello, everyone. That was the wrong response. We needed a general Kenobi from you, Dean. Um, so, hello. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> hello. We're back for another week. Um, we're going to talk about some stuff, some nerdy things, some books, movies, whatever. Dean, I think, has seen some trailers. And uh, I have. Yeah, I saw a few things. Uh, yeah, we're all wrapped up. We're all wrapped up with uh, the my interruptions, my rude interruptions with job prospects are out the way now so i won't be delaying any of your enjoyment further you'll be glad to hear oh yes we can't be depriving the people of this Dean. <laughs> yes they need it excellent so um i think for today we just roll into it so tell us what you've been doing now that you're a free man <laughs> I'm a free man <laughs> now i've escaped the shackles of life uh yeah i have been checking out well this would be the i guess the most recent show i've seen that i haven't already mentioned in the podcast to date Mm -hmm. is a series called the nevers which i started watching a few weeks back and i'm currently six episodes in i think which is the halfway point of the first season and it's created by Joss Whedon. If you're a fan of any of his previous TV output, you mm-hmm. kind of know what to expect. You've got fun ideas, great characters, pretty smart, witty dialogue. And even though he's got a HBO budget on his side with this one, cheesy, may I say, fight scenes, yeah. you know, he, uh, he's a bit guilty of that at times. <laughs> he's maybe not the best at filming action, but uh, yeah, everything else is great. And as with Buffy and Angel and Firefly and all those other shows, this one is also a mashup of genres. Yep. Uh, with The Nevers, you could probably pretty simply define it as, I guess, the Victorian X-Men in a short summary. But instead of it just being that, it kind of plays around with a lot of fun ideas to do with women's rights and equality. Mm-hmm. And it also enters into some pretty surprising sci-fi territory in the later episodes, which uh, really expands the universe quite a bit in mm-hmm. an interesting direction, which I enjoyed. But yeah, the general gist of the show itself is that mainly women and a few random men around Victorian London kind of find themselves with these various abilities that they refer to in the show as turns and uh, they all gain the abilities after this mysterious object flies over the city one day and that event is only remembered by a couple of women one of them is called Malady and she's the show's villain she's kind of like this Jack the Ripper-esque psychotic killer type great name for a villain yeah good good name and uh, she kind of leads this gang of other turned individuals who are using their abilities to commit crime Hmm. around the city. And then the other person who remembers most of what's going on, or at least is in the process of trying to figure out what's going on, is the show's hero called Amalia True, who, without spoiling it, I'll also say she's got also a couple of other names that she's known by her character. And she... Yes, interesting. I won't say too much about that. Hmm. But she... uh, she has the turn ability of precognition and uh-huh. she also runs an orphanage for stray turned around the city. So of she's, course she does. She does. Professor so X. <laughs> I'm about to say that, yeah. She's pretty much the show's Buffy, Professor Xavier, Sarah Connor yeah. and the Terminator all thrown into one as a character. Very cool. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty cool mix. And uh, she has a sidekick called Penance. And 
she has a turn that allows her to see electrical signals and they kind of give her the ability to invent very advanced technology for the time um, that has quite a cool steampunky kind of appearance to it. Uh, so she makes lots of cool contraptions and gizmos and stuff. She's a quite a cool character. And then the rest, you have like a giant girl, another one that speaks endless languages. Mm-hmm. You've got a doctor that can heal people with his hands and then a man who can control birds as well as lots of other sort of fun side characters as well um and you also get nick frost having a great time as this foul-mouthed uh criminal overlord called the uh what is he called now he's the beggar king cool and uh yeah he's a he's a fun nasty piece of work in that role um he's having a great time playing that um is he um, at all comedic or is he just no, no, he's, he's full. He's full on nasty in it. Cool, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he gets a few witty, silly lines here and there, as you'd expect. But uh, yeah, he's a, uh, he's a, uh, he's a bit nasty in this one. It's that's... probably the type of character they probably would have cast Ray Winston in at oh, some yeah. stage in his career. It's that sort that's of character. That's a fun role to see Nick Frost in. It is, yeah. It's good to see him yeah. in something like that. Um, the rest of the cast, uh, they're mainly. I, didn't recognise them. I suppose the unturned, me- the unturned members of the cast, mm-hmm. the sort of ordinary individuals. I recognise some cast members there. You've got Olivia Williams as an aristocrat who supports the turned. You've got Ben Chaplin as a grumpy police inspector who does a really great job. And you've got um, from the TV show Preacher, Pip Torrens, mm-hmm. uh, who's brilliant in Preacher absolutely steals the show there and he's great in this as well he plays like this really bitter woman-hating political figure that's trying to kind of uh, deal with the turned and get rid of them um and the rest of the cast had slightly familiar faces to me but they're all pretty new i've not really seen them in much uh laura donnelly who plays amelia she does a really great job i think she was also after a bit of online research in the show outlander and the fall as well which I've yeah. never seen either of those. And then you've got Anne Skelly as Penance, who's equally great. And she starred in the Irish TV series Red Rock, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I again, I'm not, Red Rock, but... I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. But yeah, she was from that. I know and you were then... hoping to get the Irish man to talk about the Irish TV show <laughs> a little yes. bit, but no way. <laughs> yeah, throwing in Fortunately, that breadcrumb. There's, <laughs> there's not a lot of Irish TV that... Uh, has really excited me. (laughs) I think she won, she did win an award, that actress, for some other drama that was uh, received quite well. I can't remember what it was called now. But uh, yeah, Mm. she's not a familiar face to me, but she's great. Um, um, Without spoiling too much about the plot, the basic gist is you have Amelia and she's kind of leading and protecting the turned from lots of outside prejudice and uh, like, say, uh, the other characters sort of involvement from the government trying to remove these women from society. And as well as that, she's also trying to create some, sorry, carry out some mysterious unknown mission that her ability has given her that mm-hmm. involves her saving London and potentially the world from this bigger threat that's mm-hmm. lurking under the city. So, uh, yeah, that's all I'll kind of hint at with the Very, plot. very Joss Whedon. Very Sounds just Sweden. Very, very just yeah, Sweden. Definitely. Sounds like fun. I would, I would watch it. I would watch yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Basically, if you loved any of his other shows, like, uh, and, and you like anything set in Victorian London, or you like superhero stuff and sci-fi, then, yeah, it ticks a lot of boxes. You'll definitely have a great time with it. Sounds good. 
yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> and um, like I say, I'm halfway in. I think they're splitting the first season into two. So you're going to have 12 episodes in its entirety. And I think this is like a mid-season run now. We've kind of reached halfway point at the cool. sixth episode. And the sixth episode takes a bit of a departure from the rest. And mm-hmm. like I say, expands out the universe of that story quite a bit okay. in a really interesting direction. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where they actually take it from that point on. Cool. Um, it could either maintain quite condensed and sort of like, you know, in the ways previous shows have been, you mm-hmm. know, they don't really go too epic in scope, but it does have the potential to go there, I'd say, with some of the things it hints at towards the end yeah. of that episode. So I'll be curious to see if he uses his HBO budget to kind of, as seasons continue to go full Game of Thrones, ambitious with the project, or if cool. he kind of just sticks to what he does best and kind of goes that direction. But yeah. If it gains Please popularity. don't cancel it. Don't do a Firefly. Yeah. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. I guess if it, if it gains some popularity, you know, it's got a lot of elements there that would make it a popular a popular show amongst the masses mm-hmm. these days. So he could be onto a recipe for success with that one. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that it's familiar. Like it. It feels familiar, like in the setting and stuff like you know, you know, watch you watch those genres get. You've watched people do things like Penny Dreadful and stuff like that, and I guess mm. shows like Ripper Street and stuff are familiar to people of like, you know, that kind of setting. And Doctor Who has covered a lot of this territory yeah. in its seasons over the past of doing the Victorian London steampunky kind of thing a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's definitely got its own thing going on, and it mix it mixes that with something like I say. I don't want to spoil it for people, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But it mixes it with some other elements of sci-fi in an interesting way. And I'm thinking, like, oh, cool! I don't think I've seen people collide those two things together before, cool. which is an interesting mix. Um, and the characters are really strong and fun to watch. Very cool. They, yeah, very, very it's cool. HBO, so you obviously you've got. It, unlike maybe when he did Buffy and Angel and stuff, you have the he has the mm. permission to kind of be far more mature in the content. And you know, there's there's probably uh, there's there's six sex scenes and and there's mm-hmm. kind of language and stuff that he just wouldn't have been able to have got away with having in a show like Angel or Buffy and stuff like yeah. that, and even Firefly. So he actually gets to kind of go into some different territory there as well with this um, cool. in a in a good way. Well, yeah. I mean, you know. Um, uh, for all the the things we've heard about Joss Whedon lately, um, I still have always kind of enjoyed the things that he does. So um, I would totally check that out. Yeah, cool. I've not. Um, what you need to expand on that for me, because uh, unlike I'm sure many of our listeners out there, I uh, I have to say that I'm fairly ignorant to current affairs or nice. anything in the news to do with individuals so like i'm not really up to date with what would when you say that with him i'm not i'm not sure what you're getting at i think it's <laughs> a bit ignorant it was fact. nothing um it was nothing um me too shall we say okay. but it, it okay. was uh, <laughs> it, it was basically the way i read it is that he's just a bit of a dick boss um right so some things came out with the guy from Justice League, Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg in the Justice League film, which you mm-hmm. shouldn't really watch. Um, yeah. But he basically came out and said, so Joss Whedon threatened my career. He was, I guess, implying some racist slant to it, but it wasn't oh, really? quite okay. it wasn't quite that because now Gal Gadot has also come out and said that Joss Whedon was kind of 
horrible to me or threatened my career or whatever, but I handled it on the spot and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. now some more people have come out from Buffy and said that retrospectively they thought that Joss was a bit of a dick on set and kind of no, abusive I'm... and all this kind of stuff. But to me, it all reads from a distance, from without knowing any of these people or any of these situations. It just reads that he might be a bit of an asshole boss, which okay. we've all experienced those kind of people before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it devalues the things that he has made. You know, if you like the things that he has made, great. You know, separate the controversy from the, the properties. I'm probably having a bit of a similar experience to when uh, I went to the cinema and watched Baby Driver for the first time and I absolutely loved it. And then I walked out of the cinema and then when I was chatting to people about it afterwards, a few people were mentioning to me the whole Kevin Spacey thing. And I was oh, like, yeah. what, are you even, what are you even on about? I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. And they explained it to me. I was like, really? And I was like, oh, right. No, he's great in it. He's brilliant yeah. in Baby Driver. <laughs> it should, you, know, you should still see Baby Driver. It's yeah. brilliant. And he's great yeah. in it. And it's like, I don't know, it, like I say, maybe you need to separate yourself from these things. But Don't uh, don't uh, yeah. take away from all the extra work that people put into these things as well. And, <laughs> you know, House yeah. of Cards is a great show. Um, yeah. And now I just think it's Kevin Spacey playing himself, which is very, <laughs> you know, accurate. And it just makes that performance all the better. <laughs> but it doesn't take away from all the work that other people did on that show and, and these types of... Uh, creative endeavors there's a lot of people involved so yeah you know i can understand people not wanting to watch it uh to support those things or mm-hmm. to keep these people employed or whatever the reason it may be but i think then you might be doing a slight disservice to everyone else who worked on on that project you know yeah but anyway let's not yeah. uh anyway let's not go let's that not we go were, down we're going into political territory yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah um anyway Regardless of all that, if you want to just be an ignorant fool like myself and uh, and check out the Nethers, I would love to great. just yeah, I would Enjoy. love to go into all those things completely blind, not knowing anything about anyone. Just let me watch yeah. that show. Yeah, well, my experience of it was good. Anyway, so anyway, that was a uh, that was the Nethers, and. Um, I unfortunately don't really have many new things that I can recommend to people or new things that I've been watching, but kind of what I wanted to bring up to you today, Dean, is um, the idea or aspect of comfort watching. So I'll tell you, like, there's a couple of things that I've kind of maybe checked out very loosely. I'm still reading Preacher at the moment. I, I picked up another thing and I picked up another book to read that I will mention in a moment yeah um alongside it but like in terms of watching stuff the last week you know just with work or whatever you kind of want to switch off your brain and yeah dinner TV dinner TV is what I've been doing dinner TV that's that's the the world I like to enter now and again like you say just some sweeps over you quite calmly nicely soothingly washes over you. you yeah as you get something shoved down your face. I think the first thing I might mention is um, that I watched, or re- recently we watched, um, uh, David Attenborough has a new thing on Apple TV oh, about yeah. the world after COVID, or the world during COVID, basically. Um, mm-hmm. The natural world. Yeah, And it was <laughs> a very, very nice thing to watch. 
you know, as the the end of lockdown and here in Ireland has, you know, it's it's there's light at the end of the tunnel basically. But David Attenborough came out with this documentary on Apple TV called "The Day That the World," or "The Day the World Stopped." Mm-hmm. So the general premise is just he goes around. Well, I don't know if he went around, but his film crew went around, and he certainly narrated it. He's getting on a bit now. <laughs> <laughs> but we looked at different parts of the world and how nature has kind of exploded or animal life has emerged out into cities and civilizations while we were all cooped up at home. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's about an hour, maybe a 50 minutes or something like that. And it's just a very, very comforting, wholesome, nice bit of David Attenborough. We're going to look at these <laughs> animals now. There's is... The day the world stopped, the, the, the air is so much cleaner. <laughs> and it's it's just very, very comforting. And it, it gave me this kind of, it just sent me down this little spiral of why do we put so much emphasis on needing things to be the best thing ever? And, you know, oh, this creative experience was so cathartic and all this <laughs> bullshit that we throw out. And sometimes... When you just want to watch Naked and Afraid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> when it does the job, yeah, I know what you mean. Job. I know what you, I know what yeah. you're getting at. Yeah, there's plenty of TV out there. That there's stuff that obviously I wouldn't deliberately be mentioning in this TV. Like, what, I mean, why not? We're talking about it now. But yeah, there's there's stuff that I watch on a fairly regular basis at times. That 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 type of TV sometimes that I don't choose as subject matter for the show. Yeah, because um, maybe I think like you say, but it's it's, it's odd, like you say, isn't it, that we kind of like maybe. Um, give certain weight to one experience and not the other. Because we think it might be more important or something like that. But I think (laughs) it's equally important to find comfort and and, and a bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, A bit of, not consolation. That's That's not a right way to put it. But just, yeah, just a bit of comfort in something that will bring you some joy and a, an hour or so of pleasure and take your Mm -hmm. mind off whatever is going on and, those things are equally important to whatever we feel is, oh, it's important thematically to talk about this and the metaphor of this, yeah. you know, which is all fine and good. And I enjoy all that analysis of mm-hmm. of things. But I'm, I'm kind of thinking of this more as I don't want to be just another critic of this thing because you're going to hear the same thing a thousand times. Yeah. You know, like as much as I kind of enjoyed ripping the shit out of Zack Snyder's Justice League, Mm. there are plenty of people who are going to nitpick and look at this film and say, this wasn't good, this was not the way I would have done that, or he could have, you know, reined that back in. But the people that will watch that and get that joy out of it, why, you know, nitpick that? Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so I watched that, and it was kind of a busy busy week and we ended up watching a little bit more of we've been re-watching again The Office even though we just watched it like two months ago oh right and okay it's just comforting yeah. um, and I did try to watch the first two episodes of the British one and I texted you when I watched them you did, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I found it less comforting than the American one so I just <laughs> went back and I kept watching um, but I will I will eventually go back and, and, and watch the British one. But in that moment, I felt kind of like I needed something just a bit warmer and a bit a, mm-hmm. on the surface warmer. 
Um, I didn't yeah. want to go searching for that uh, underneath <laughs> things in the British one, you know what I mean? Well, I'm glad you've mentioned that because my, com- my comfort watch has been that this this week or the last few weeks even as uh, I've, been go- I've been dipping into Parks and Recs for the first time. Mm. So I'm kind of like full on binge mode. That's my dinner TV at the moment. Very I'm cool. kind of like well into at least halfway through, maybe towards the end of the third season of that by now. That's great. That's um, next on my list. That's that's the yeah. next thing on my list. Yeah, yeah, very enjoyable. Yeah, as it as it develops, I, I mean, I was initially when I was watching it thinking to myself, I'm liking this, but it's the same skepticism, not skepticism, but it's the same initial reaction I have. Which it's something I've discussed with people. Hmm. Is about how, and it's my experience of the American Office when I start to try and start watching that to begin with, is yeah. that I find the performances slightly less convincing in yeah. their kind of reality because they're coming from American actors. And it's just because I'm not familiar, I'm not growing yeah. up with that. So when you film it in the mockumentary style, it doesn't quite click with yeah. me in comparison to me maybe watching British actors in British yeah. mockumentaries in the same way. That yeah. said, Spinal Taps have classic so i can eat my own words when it comes to something like that but um but yeah so the point i was kind of getting at is uh i don't i didn't really understand the reason to film parks and rec in that mockumentary format apart from right. the the fact that you do get a few funny moments when characters kind of glance to camera and acknowledge mm. that they're being filmed or maybe give a bit of feedback to the crew but there's no kind of dialogue with the crew back and forth so it yeah it feels like it's just been thrown in as a bit of a gimmick initially but then when I start to warm to the characters after the first season was over and I was into the second season, I started to kind of get a real feel for the characters properly then. And I was like, oh, it doesn't really bother me that they've gone with this mockumentary way of shooting this. Yeah, It's not a distraction. It's like, I, I'm just really invested in the characters at this stage. That's the bottom and, line, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it was a bit of a weak start in my opinion, but then mm. it, it really increased dramatically in the second season as it's carried on and now I'm kind of like, I'm really, really, really enjoying it. I've quite, and, I've heard that as well. Um, some of the guys in work have been kind of basically imploring me to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine mm-hmm. because they say it's exactly my kind of humour and I watched the first couple of episodes and I actually couldn't stand it. I was like, oh, really? Yeah. this is very annoying, but... They've also said that the first season they found the main guy Peralta, who was Andy Samberg, yeah, just a little bit annoying and kind mm-hmm. of like the American Office, uh, which was actually kind of the opposite for me. I quite liked the first season of the American Office, and then I think the second and third and second yeah. to the fourth are kind of the best. But I didn't dislike the first, but a lot of people dislike the first season of mm-hmm. that, and a lot of people apparently kind of were a bit met on the first season of. Brooklyn Nine Nine and on Parks and Rec, yeah. until the you spend more time with these characters and it kind of develops. You know, I get what you mean. There's a th- there's a theory behind this, right? That I, I read about in an interview the once with a with a sitcom writer, and mm. uh, it's really interesting when he mentioned it. And I thought he's spot on there. It's got to be the case. Uh, and he was talking about the IT crowd, and I feel the same with the IT crowd. That this yeah. first season's okay, it's, but but then the second season really picks up, and um, the reason behind it is apparently that when you first create a sitcom, obviously you come up with the characters and the concepts and you you get your first show made and you're working with the cast for the first time and you don't really know who you're writing for. You don't really understand yeah. 
obviously the actors do their various versions of interpreting the character on the page but with comedy performance it's very much about the performer it's like that compromise between you know like dramatic acting and then you've got a lot of people who are like you know either comical actors or stand-up comedians who kind of bring their own thing to the project yeah and until you've until you familiarize yourself with them as a writer in that first series you don't really know who you're writing for hmm. so by the time the second season comes along you've watched those actors on screen you've watched those comedians like yeah give do what they do and you're and you know what works and you know what doesn't work for their performances so it, the, the writing really increases dramatically in that second season hmm. because you suddenly like you know what materials you're working with so I, I, when he mentioned that in that interview i thought oh yeah that probably explains a lot of my oh, experience how, of sitcoms how fun must it be to be in the writer's room at the end of the first season and go right what didn't work what worked yeah. let's trim the fat or trim the the bullshit and exactly yeah hone in on what the heart is of this show and that must be super fun especially working in that you know team environment of writers and yeah on something like the office where the the creative team was so small that even the actors were executive producers and the actors were writers on the episodes and uh, mm -hmm. they were all directed by the same couple of guys like Paul Feig or whatever that I don't know real gold can come out of that team environment in TV and it creates this sense of the, the classic idea of like TV being your friend like the TV show being a, a friend in the in the the gaff <laughs> yeah in the house for non-Irish <laughs> listeners <laughs> yeah. um so I don't know. I think I've been craving that um, in the things that I've been consuming in the last few weeks. And it may have affected my enjoyment of other things that I may have enjoyed at other moments or other moods. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, and I, and I, uh, this week I've even, ju I've just thought a lot about like, hold on. Like the boys by Garth Ennis has all the ingredients to be something that I would really love <laughs> or be something that I would really enjoy. And yet I just wasn't feeling it when I picked it back up and I read the first few issues of Preacher and then I got distracted and I went and I picked up a Spider-Man uh, Omni, which is also like a thousand two hundred pages and I'm already at the end and it's been like two days. Yeah. And yet, Preacher, I'm still kind of at the beginning, you know, slowly getting through it. So I think recognizing what kind of mood you're in and knowing that you just need that kind of comforting friend is yeah. okay. And I was putting myself under a lot of pressure yesterday coming up. Oh, we're coming up to the podcast now and we we're originally going to record it the day before, you know, today, you know, the recording. And I'm like, I don't have anything to talk about. What? I haven't watched I haven't watched anything important <laughs> anything i haven't watched yeah. anything worth talking about on a podcast <laughs> i've been there don't worry about it yeah. completely <laughs> ridiculous it's completely ridiculous because people don't you know what am i trying to say people don't need that shit <laughs> uh, all the time you know i think recognizing that something may not be widely considered of the greatest quality ever, but it gives you a level of comfort, then I don't think that cheapens the the quality of that show or that mm -hmm. uh, product or project or whatever it is. Yeah. And for me, I had this conversation there um, yesterday with my girlfriend and I was thinking, like, why do I like 
Spider-Man so much. <laughs> and I was, I had this moment where I was like, hold on, what is it about this that I actually really like? So I, I'm reading at the moment Ultimate Spider-Man, which is the modern, it's the modernized retelling of, of Spider-Man written by Brian Michael Bendis, who is one of the biggest names in, at least in Marvel Comics. Um, mm-hmm. He's worked for them for 20 years. Well, he's actually working for DC now, but anyway, that's beside the point. He was brought in in, the, in around 2000 to reboot Spider-Man for the modern era, basically. And he is the guy who eventually, like 10 years later, spoiler alert, killed off Peter Parker and brought in, he created the character of Miles Morales, who is the character from that animated, that wonderful animated show or movie, mm-hmm. the uh, Into the Spider-Verse. He created that character. So what I'm reading now is his first story, like his first appearance in comics. I'm reading the ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales. And it's about 1,200 pages of pure, unadulterated fun with genuine life problems for this 13-year-old kid who's just as confused as you are with all the big events going on around him. Mm -hmm. And he's got family problems and he's got uh, school problems. And now he's struggling to live up to this name of this spider-man guy who is from the same city and but also he was white and i'm not white and um he did all these important things and i'm only 13 like he's even younger and uh it's just so i don't know comforting i guess like it's you you blast through it also it depends on how i guess how good the writing is (laughs) but i think Bendis in particular is kind of a master at these kinds of stories. He throws so many things up in the air so that the plot just keeps moving. And the mechanics of how he writes his comics are like, you've got your A plot and you've got your B plot. And it's never really about the villain or about him defeating the the bad guy. It's always just about how he is dealing with all this pressure as a 13 year old kid. And it's great. It's, it's, it's immensely comforting. And then that sent me, again down this thought spiral process of oh so is this why i'm just kind of rewatching the office again this these past couple of weeks and is that why you know i'm doing all of this and i'm not experimenting more this in this period of time i'm just craving those those kind of comforts but um i mean yeah i don't know what what <laughs> what kind of comforts are you uh experiencing what do you go for it was it was main, it's mainly the sitcom mainly the sitcoms like i say it's just parks and recs and the other thing was uh on bbc iplayer i'm watching i've been binging on ghosts as well the uh sitcom there from the crew that cool. created the horrible histories um series for on kids tv it, it did great at the time it was, it was mm-hmm. you know it's not a new show by any means everybody probably knows about it by now but um yeah i watched the first i'm into the second season of series of that sorry i watched the first binged on the first one the other day and it's just really enjoyable again just really really likable characters really fun premise of yeah. uh, a couple that find out that they inherit a, an old mansion somewhere and uh the old mansion is filled with ghosts from various mm. generations and all the ghosts are kind of characters in the sitcom and the girl at the start experiences an incident where one of the ghosts they try to scare her out of the house and almost kill her and when she kind of wakes from her coma she can see the ghosts and communicate with them so the kind of comedy comes from there of her being able to see them and nobody else and yeah 
then the kind of comedy around their various lives and you get flashbacks to how they died and stuff which make for fun episodes it's also quite touching at times and quite a mm-hmm. sort of like quite a, a moving uh, sitcom at times these moments of when they kind of talk about their experience of their death and living on afterlife and losing everybody and stuff it has some quite tender moments in there as well which is yeah interesting i think it's but, those uh, uh those small emotional beats that's not that's not surrounded by uh, like things that are overly melodramatic or too much melodrama mm-hmm. or um too much kind of <laughs> i was about to say too much emotion <laughs> but there can be an overload of that but things that are kind of fun to watch fun to read sometimes the emotional moments in those things can hit harder agreed totally agreed yeah because of the light kind of tone you know and if it's overdone then it doesn't hit as hard and it feels cheesy you know Mm -hmm. definitely so i think those kinds of movies tv shows books comics whatever tend to work better like timelessly universal in a way 100 percent Yes, so the only other things I guess I have to talk about before we kind of depart, um, no real new experiences, but plenty of ongoing experiences from Mm -hmm. stuff that I've mentioned in previous podcasts. So I'm a good few episodes into Mayor of Easttown now, which is definitely shaping up to being one of my favourite things on TV right now. Cool. Um, Excellent. Uh, um, Maybe... uh, it could be possibly six episodes in at this stage. I'm seeing some um, real buzz for that online now. It's got better and better as it's carried on, yeah. Uh, when I mentioned, I think when I first mentioned the show on the podcast, that was maybe I was maybe two episodes in at that stage. Mm-hmm. They'd been aired. But now, like I say, I think it's at least at six episodes at this stage. Yeah. Um, and it's just got stronger and stronger as it's carried on. Um, and what was the other one? Let me think. Oh, yeah. Didn't really mention this one on the show, but it would be... For me personally, it's one of my favourite ongoing series that's around at the moment is The Handmaid's Tale. I've not really mentioned it on the podcast before, yeah. but that is now in its fourth series. And I hate to say this, but I'm like a big, big fan of that show as it's carried on. Yeah. But now it's in the fourth season. Some slightly lazy, poor writing has crept into the show. Okay. Um. Maybe it's a bit of a victim of its own success a bit. It's still, I'm still really compelled, but uh, they've kind of done things with Elizabeth Moss, Moss sorry, her character, June, mm-hmm. um, who throughout the series has kind of panned out as this, I mean, she's def- the character's definitely struggled a lot. I know I've read various opinions online of critics that have fallen out with the show because they feel that like the amount of abuse her character has to go through is too much and it's too hard to watch. But I don't know, to me, that's grounded in this, there's like this hopefulness about the show, about humanity, that she's got this real strength inside that no matter how much shit they drag that character through, there's this humanity behind her that will get her through anything and she's willing to fight back at the, the forces against her so hard that she can't be broken, even though she goes through terrible, shocking things. Yeah, um, You're still with her. And there's a bit of writing that goes on in this fourth season where they turn what is potentially I kind of view as this freedom fighter figure who's like, you know, fighting against the man through yeah. from day one. And they turn, they do something which for me makes decisions where 
you start to view her more as an extremist figure in her behavior. And I'm a bit pissed off with them about that because <laughs> I'm completely on board with June from day one of that show. And there's a decision that's been made at some stage by those writers. And it does make the character more complex, but it also, for me, makes it hard for me to be on her side as much as I was up until that stage in the story. Yeah. Um, and then there's a few clunky moments where, I don't know, it's a few plot holes, not plot holes, but a few moments where I'd be like, I was thinking, uh, you know, that could have definitely been handled a lot better. That's a bit of a clumsy way to end that episode and stuff. And uh, yeah, a bit of a letdown as a whole but um it i think like i say being a victim of its own success it tries to do things which were well earned in previous seasons mm -hmm. like it builds up to these moments that you kind of expect from the show whereas straight off the bat within the first episode or so of this new season they just throw those things in there and they're completely not built up to or deserved they just happen because i think it's just like this is something we do in the show and you get yeah. this really cool moment but yeah. uh yeah there's a bit of repetition going on. Could just a be a little bit of a dip. Like it's it's disappointing disappointing to hear you talk about because like you've been raving about the Handmaid's Tale to yeah, me for yeah. years now. But um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'd I'd say it's a bit of a mid All shows show have dip. It. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. So I, I know you're a massive massive fan of Lost. You've said oh, it before, it dips. and. <laughs> Yeah, dips. Yeah, uh, my my experience of watching Lost for the first time was like that, and there's plenty of shows like it. Like I say, yeah. where I know I know I'm going through a lull, and I think like I, I love the show so much, I'll get through this. I'll get. I'm a committed viewer. Like I, I tried to do it with Walking Dead to a point, mm -hmm. and I did eventually give up on that show after a long, long time. But uh, it was a different experience with Walking Dead. But yeah, definitely shows like Lost and stuff like that, where I've like I know someone's going to pull this back. Yeah, and it's going to it's going to resolve those issues after a while. There's uh, a show that I still, I've tried twice to get past the slump. I still mm -hmm. haven't. And it's Homeland. Yeah. And I loved the first three seasons of Homeland. And then in season four, it kind of, without any, giving any spoilers, it does drastically switch up the dynamic of the show. And I felt like the dynamic and the whole premise of the show was the first three seasons and that's what I really got out of it and mm -hmm. I've now tried twice I went back recently to watch the first three seasons again and then get pushed past that slump and I just stopped in the exact same place that I stopped <laughs> the first time and I haven't I, I just haven't gotten past that slump so yeah. I don't know what it is maybe certain shows just have a, a thing a hook that do exactly that they hook you in and when you take mm. that hook away, there's nothing pulling you back into the show, you know? Yeah. And it might be a, that's another case of like comfort watching, you know, like you you yeah. are giving me something with this show that now you've taken away and now I don't want to watch your show. <laughs> you <laughs> I, I think, I think with TV, it's probably an experience of like, like running any company out there where like you have, you have a, you have something you do and it's a bit different from a movie or something where the project's done after a show. No, well, I say short period of time. Yeah, it could be a year in production or something. Yeah. But um, but what I mean is like in comparison with TV, when it's ongoing for so many years, and the crew are all experiencing that, and maybe people come and go and change. But if you're viewing it like a company and you think producing a product, yeah, then you know you're you might be full of enthusiasm as the company launches and the things out there, and you've got this thing that's selling well and it's doing great, and then gradually as the years go on, you know, you might 
find that you're not number one on the list of top products and stuff and you yeah maybe the people that work for you have lost that enthusiasm a little bit and they need somebody fresh to come in a new you know i don't know where i'm going with this analogy but a new ceo suddenly comes <laughs> in gets the team motivated and everyone's like no no come on this show's great we still we still got something here and then they kind of drag it back out of the, the yeah. abyss <laughs> like a few seasons later or something yeah. but um yeah i think that needs to happen sometimes with the show of course, and I mean, or it just runs if, itself into the ground, yeah. Yeah, especially if it's gone on for years, you know. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, we're at season eight now. We need, we need to do something a bit more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sheer yeah. amount of episodes in, especially for me, uh, by comparison of of their sort of like their other counterparts, but uh, American sitcoms in particular. Oh. Like the volume of episodes and shows, and yeah, and he, he, as much as I love something as high quality as it is, I mean, Thirty Rock would be another thing mm-hmm. that I've been binging away on in the background for a long time now. Whilst yeah. we've been doing this podcast, and it's brilliant, it's absolutely incredible. I love it, but I even reached fatigue a few seasons in just because of the sheer volume of episodes and yeah. stuff. And it's like I'm enjoying this, but I just can't. I can't have any more of it now. I need a break from this and I need to move on to something else. And uh, it's hard to keep people invested for that long. Like, and like you said earlier with The Handmaid's Tale, it's it's uh, they, they begin to recognise that, oh, we do this because that's what we do on this show. And then they do mm-hmm. too much of that stuff. Yeah. And I found that with season eight of The American Office, which I, I really didn't like it at all. Uh, season eight was, was not good, but they fell into that trap of, well, we're going to make Dwight do something outrageous and he's going to go off, whatever. And we're going to make Kevin be more stupid. And, we're, you know, those kind mm-hmm. of things. And just because that's what people laugh at on this show. But there was no heart behind it. There was no message in each episode. And I, that's what I really like about the show is that I feel there's a message or something to be learned or gained or at least a aspect yeah. of some interpersonal relationships that are very real but are masked by this kind of piss taken of the ridiculousness of these office environments you know and season eight of the show just fell into that kind of lull of well we'll play this off for laughs and we'll play that off for laughs and there was nothing really behind it and then for the last season they seemed to pick it back up again you know and i think it's because they refocused on on jim and pam the heart of the show they just refocused on that relationship and it felt real it felt natural the actors are fantastic, so I think, yeah. But I don't think that they realise that until it's then aired and they see yeah. it for themselves. So they can recognise that, oh, shit, we we landed in a slump this season. We better pick it up now, next season or whatever, you know? Yeah, I think you're getting into dangerous territory when you're starting to create things on the basis that you think that that's what your fan base wants. That mm-hmm. like It's like, that's the thing we do well. And like I say, the thing I'm on about with Handmaid's Tale is like this build up to these really dramatic, well earned moments where like there's a, a a brilliant musical choice that backs a scene that's beautifully shot and stuff, and it's just like it's electrifying to watch. It's brilliant and it it's earned. But yeah. in this, it's like they're just immediately throwing it in straight away within the first episode, yeah. and the the cool track is playing and the things happening, and it's like it just seems like really like crassly handled it's like why are you just throwing that in there you've just done this because it's like you think that's the cool thing that this show does and it I don't know, yeah. felt a bit rushed and uh, it's it's those kind of uh to use the word again tropes of a show that come out when they're done kind of 
um, not repetitively, but it's a trend. Yeah. And there's one there's one thing that pops into mind that's done very very well on Peaky Blinders, mm-hmm. and it's this one tiny ridiculous little trend or trope that I love. But they I love it because they don't do it all the time, and when they do it, it's fucking cool. <laughs> and it's when they get all the lads to slowly walk through the street. They get the, they're going somewhere. They're gonna they're gonna mess somebody up or whatever. And they get the guys yeah. to walk the Peaky Blinders to walk in slow motion <laughs> down the mud road, and somebody's yeah. like smoking a fag or smoking yeah. a cigarette. Sorry, uh, and you know flicking it away and it's just this slow motion shot of the lads walking and it's great and then they replicated it when all the female characters in the show got fed up it was one scene or something where all the female characters got fed up with what they were doing they were all made to stay in and look after the the horse betting or something while the lads were out at a race or i can't remember what it was yeah and all uh and polly uh Helen McCrory, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of leads a little almost revolt. She's like, here, fuck the lads. We'll go out. We'll do our own thing. And they all walk out. And in that moment, they do the slow-mo walk <laughs> of all the ladies uh, walking out of the, the office. And it's great. It's a, it's a lovely little wink. You know, yeah. we know we do this. And we're not going to give it to you all the time. But this yeah. is going to be good, you know. <laughs> In Handmaid's Tale, another one is that June kind of like slowly kind of looks up to camera and looks you straight in the eye kind of like and gives this stare of into camera of mm. basically they're going to fucking pay for what they've done, like this yeah. glance. And it's like I say, it's well earned in most seasons. But uh, in this one, like I say, it happened about three times within the first episode. And I was like, what, yeah. what are you doing? Like, come it on. cheapens it. It, it yeah. cheapens it. Have it cheapens what makes it. for fuck's sake. <laughs> exactly. It's like horror movies. Um, yeah giving you too many scares because then you Mm. learn to expect it and the scare is ineffectual ineffective (laughs) yeah um totally and like in house of cards the other one is um frank talking to the camera breaking the fourth wall you don't want him to do it in every episode but when he does it it's it's kind of cool and Mm. then they use it to good effect towards the end of the show when claire robin wright's character also then turns to look at the camera or at the start of the first season, he doesn't talk to the camera at all. He doesn't talk to the audience at all. And then at the very end of that first episode of season two, he goes, mm. he just turns slowly and goes, did you think I'd forgotten you? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's brilliant. Or at the end of like season five or whatever, when he's talking about like taking over, I'm going to become president or whatever. We're here to take mm. over. And he's sitting there with um, Claire and he turns then to look at the camera and she turns too. She doesn't say anything, but you, you first that's her first acknowledgement that, oh, shit, she can talk to us too. <laughs> uh, those things, yeah, don't overdo it. Yeah. Pepper it in. Definitely. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, uh, for, next, for next week's episode, when we kind of... When we do that one for you, uh, I think when you started this, you mentioned I don't. Maybe we're kind of running out of time now. I'll probably end up just maybe viewing a few of the movie trailers that I'd already witnessed yeah. um, during the week, and I can maybe speak about those films if I enjoy them as much as maybe I'll, uh, the trailers give the impression of. Yeah. Uh, by next week, so I won't spoil that. But um, the only other thing that I've shot myself in the foot by getting into during this week is. Uh, 
it's been on my bucket list for a while, bucket list for a while, but yeah, it's a show that I always know is great. And back mm-hmm. when I was a, a movie loving teen, like a friend of mine, it always used to be in the film magazines I read about as well, it was The Shield. Oh, and he'd yeah. always yeah he'd always said to me like oh this is, is as good as any film but I was that into my films at the time I was like no I haven't got time for a TV show oh, it yeah. looks great but I'll check it out some other time and with Sopranos and stuff like that it's one of those ones golden age of television where I was like I will eventually get around to binging on this because yeah. I know it's amazing and I kind of made the accident of putting it on watching the first one and I got to the end of the first episode this week and as that first episode ended I was like oh no I've got to watch every single one of these to the yeah. end because it's such a good end to a first episode uh, Michael very... Chiklis isn't it isn't he it the... is, yeah. yeah I've been wanting to watch that for years still yeah. haven't it grabbed like that first by the time that first episode's over I was like oh no your character's really interesting I'm gonna have to <laughs> watch this entire series now to see what happens to you because uh, cool. yeah he's a really he's a really interesting character in that to say the least but uh, yeah so that'll probably be something I'll speak about in future episodes yeah uh, when I've worked my way through that do you anything on the cards for for you during the week before I... we sign off I um, kind of wanted to start Parks and Rec as well. Yeah. And okay. Cool. For all mankind has been on my immediate radar for quite yeah. some time since you mentioned it. So that's yeah. I, I have yeah. progressed with it further, yeah. but uh, I kind of fell out with it a bit. Not too much. I just mm-hmm. started to lose interest in the second series as yeah. I started to get into it, and then I kind of my interest waned a little bit, and I yeah. moved on to other things. So I'm not going to be too negative about it, mm-hmm. but maybe that initial first series experience wasn't quite there as I was watching it. Or maybe, like we were t- talking about before, sometimes you're in mind, you're just not in the mood for that kind of thing. There'll yeah. be a time when you are. Yeah. I'm in the mood for a bit of sci-fi. I, Of course, uh, The Expanse has been on my list for quite a long time now as well, mm-hmm. but I'm... I'm I'm leaning towards picking up the novels first, so I might pick up the first novel oh, yeah. and read that and then start the show, so... I'll let That'd you know cool. if I do that. Nice. All right then. Cool. Um, yeah. So another week done, guys. Thanks again. And remember to do your homework. Like, yes. share, subscribe, tell a friend, follow, share the joy. All those nice things. Uh, yeah. And we'll be joining you next week to chat about that other stuff. And yeah, back to normal, normal schedule. Back to for normal. you all. Yes, indeed. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.